0: Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and we ask that you would do your work in each heart and life. We ask that uh, you would give wisdom and ability to open the scriptures this morning, and yet, Lord, the ability to preach and teach your word does no good without the working of the Holy Spirit in individual hearts and lives to hear and understand and receive. And yes, Lord, obey your word. We ask that the Holy Spirit would have freedom in each heart and life to do his work, that you may be glorified in all that is done and said and thought today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would, and let's turn to 1 John chapter 1 in our Bibles. 1 John, the little one way in the back of your Bible. And I want us to... Just read a few verses and then put them in the context and try to look at these verses as I believe God would have us to look at these verses as often I believe we do not. And we're going to start reading in verse 8 of 1 John chapter 1. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. As we look over these verses, 1 John 1, 9 in particular, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness is often just one of those verses that we like to pluck out all by itself and just put it right there. And and yes, please do not misunderstand where we are going this morning in the message, God forgives sins. If you believe that, say amen again. That was pretty weak. Uh, God forgives sins. God wants to forgive sins. God is in the sin-forgiving business, we might say. And if He were not, we would be all eternally doomed. But many times, and what I want us to really hone in on this morning and to think about is that God is in the sin-forgiving business. God, everything in the Bible, deals with the forgiveness of man's sins, but often we make that the end or the goal or the final achievement of man. If we could just find forgiveness of sins, that's, that's all that we need. And I want to challenge you this morning, that is not what this passage is talking about. Having the forgiveness of your sins is not the goal. I want to challenge you that it is the first step to the things that God wants to do in our lives because God cannot accomplish anything else until he takes care of the sin problem first. But most of us, let's illustrate it. Are you ready? Honesty moment. How many of you have sinned since last Sunday? Please raise your hand high and loud. Okay, I don't see any cadavers out there where you are living. You have broken God's law, and it's so easy for us to get wrapped up in this... Sin, forgiveness, sin, forgiveness, sin, forgiveness, that we never, ever go anywhere else. And I want to challenge you that God has some other things that he wants us to accomplish as Christians. Uh, number one, it is not to realize the inner you, or uh, what is that phrase? To uh, gain your inner champion, or something like that, uh, Because there is no champion within you. You have been defeated by sin and without God doing His work you have no hope. There are reasons why we must go to God and seek His forgiveness. Years ago someone gave me a book and said, Pastor, I'm not sure about this book. It doesn't uh, make a lot of sense to me, but I'd like you to read it. I've been listening to this guy on the radio. Has anybody ever heard of Bob George or George Bob? I can't remember what his name is. It's, it's When somebody has two first names, I get confused. But I, I believe his name was Bob George, and he had a radio program uh, quite well-known in some circles. I never heard of them other than this book, and as soon as I read the book, I threw the book away because I didn't want somebody walking in my office and seeing that book on my shelf and say, Oh, Pastor likes that guy. Uh, Because here's what he did to one extreme. He said, How many sins did Jesus pay for on the cross? Please answer the question. Did he leave any out? Well... He said, since Jesus paid for all sins on the cross, then you don't need to confess any more sins because they're already paid for. You don't need to worry about it. All you need to do is live life and enjoy it. Now, let me tell you, that might sound good on the outset, but that's not freedom. And that is not godly. And it is not biblical. It is nothing but human nature expressing itself to try to make itself feel better about things it ought not feel good about. How many of you have ever felt the convicting power of the Holy Spirit when you have broken God's laws, when you have failed, you lost your temper, you uh, you didn't have to... You don't have to go out and kill someone, by the way, to feel the convicting power of the Holy Ghost of God, it is a little sin that will break your fellowship with God. The question he would ask in his book was that, why do we keep going and asking God to forgive us for sins that he's already forgiven us for? And the answer simply is God, being outside of this measurement of this dimension that we call time, was able to pay for all sins for all time in one moment of time. Does that make sense? I mean, you got to think about that a little bit. But you and I do things today. And God has given you and I an opportunity to make right the things that we have done wrong today. Amen? How many of you have ever had a fight or an argument or a disagreement with another human being? Again, if you're holding your hands down, I'm not going to call you a liar, but I am going to question your veracity. Uh, That's just a nice way of calling you a liar. But uh. how many of you have had the opportunity to talk to that person you had the disagreement and sort out the issue, ask their forgiveness for what you've done wrong, receive their forgiveness, have them ask your forgiveness for what they did wrong, and have reconciliation? Isn't that a wonderful thing? I had a preacher when I was growing up, very young, and he said, my wife and I have never argued. And if anybody else had told me that, I would have, again, questioned her veracity. But this fella, knowing him and his wife, I believed what he said because it, it was true. I mean, he was just one of those guys. And his wife was a very godly woman, and and I can believe that they never had an argument. And he said, the only regret that I have is I have no idea what it means to kiss and make up. And that idea of reconciliation is a theme that goes through the Bible from the beginning to the end. But so often when we look at our sin and are dealing with the wrong things in our life, I guess the best way to illustrate it is polishing a car. If you've ever seen those really fancy paint jobs that just kind of glow, you'll often catch somebody out there wiping it off with a rag in the parking lot and polishing and looking at it in the sun and make sure there's no specks in the polish. And we often treat our idea of God's forgiveness as if we were some fine race car with 15 coats of hand-rubbed lacquer on it. I mean, it just glows and, oh, we got this one little imperfection that we just need to remove so we can be fully looked at and glow like we were created to be. That's ridiculous. I want us to go into the context of this passage here. And these are by no means all of the things, but these are three of the main reasons that these verses, 8 through 10, are in First John. Is Let's go back to verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you. That ye also may have... What's that next word? Are you following along? Well, three people got it. Let's try that again. That ye may also have what? Fellowship. Okay, we got about half of you. One more time. That, we, that ye also may have what? Fellowship. I think we got most of you that time. Fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Now, every time I ask this question, just like the question, how many of you have sinned? Everybody raises their hand. How many of you could use a little more joy in your life? And every hand goes up. Is it possible to have too much joy in your life? No. Not when it's this kind of joy. Now, if you get happy water and... Uh, imbibe alcoholic spirits and you get happy because you've taken a depressant. I never have gotten that one straightened out. Uh, That's not the kind of joy the Bible's talking about. The source of this joy is the presence of God in your life. That's what Fellowship is. Now, we, we like to have fellowships at our church. And normally when we use that word, we are not giving it an extremely careful biblical definition. Though we are going to talk together, we are going to enjoy being in the same room, and we are going to do what Baptists enjoy most, and that's eat. Uh, We have a lot of fun when we get together and have those meals and enjoy the blessings that God has given us and share with one another. But the fellowship that is being spoken about here is the physical presence of the invisible God active in your life. Now, John says, listen, I want you to have fellowship with us, not because I'm the greatest preacher that ever lived. He says, I want you to have fellowship with us because our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. There are many people who get together in fellowship about all kinds of things. I was talking about a talking with a pastor friend, he said, Brother Pete, I got a problem I don't know how to deal with. He said, I got a group of people in our church that are in a Corvette club. And they get together on Sundays and drive their cars around and skip church so that they can be in their cars and with other people who have the same cars. Now, you know that's not this church, because... Nobody around here owns one of those. But people fellowship about all kinds of things. But John says if you want real fellowship, if you want the fellowship that's going to fill your soul with joy, you got to have fellowship with God. Now, how many people are in New York City today that put a sign out front and said, listen, we are offering fellowship with God if you walk in. I was reading about something this week, a, a church called Flat Irons. Now, I have no idea. How many people even know what a flatiron is? Uh, you have to know about antiques. A flat iron is an old cast iron iron that you used to stick in the fire and heat up. And the reason it's called the flat iron district is because that was where they used to make garments and they had to iron them with a flat iron. They even built a building down there that kind of looks like one. But the simple truth is, what in the world does that have to do with church? And yet, They gave the story of how this church grew from just 200 people to 11,000 members and they took an old Walmart and that wasn't big enough and the Albertsons, which is a big department store, and they put it all together so they could have one big auditorium where they could get all these people in. But the music was what we call contemporary Christian music. Now, let me give you a definition. Contemporary is Christian music, is what is out there for uh, worldly musicians who can't make it in the worldly field. Because when any Christian, contemporary Christian artist has the opportunity to record secular worldly songs, they do it. The darling of the contemporary Christian music movement, one of the founders, was a young lady named Amy Grant. She is old stuff today. She's about my age. I mean, that puts you way out in in left field. Old, antique music. Walked into a Kmart or something years ago, not even in New York City, and I heard someone singing, the next time I fall in love, it'll be with you. And I recognized the voice, not because I listened to Amy Grant continually, never had, never have liked that stuff. So I just stood there and listened, and sure enough, the announcer comes on. That was Amy Grant and filthy, rotten so-and-so, some rock, secular rock star, singing a duet. By the way, it went on that we we're not only satisfied with contemporary Christian music, we want to have... Secular uh, rock groups in like black-eyed peas. Uh, Now, if you take a little fat back and boil them in a pot, black-eyed peas are really good. I have no idea what the music of someone who would call themselves after a bean uh, would be like, nor do I have any intention of ever finding out. You say, you don't know about it if you don't listen to it. No. I don't need to know about smoking by smoking. Amen? I don't need to know about dope by doing drugs. I don't need to know what immorality does by committing it myself. I can just look around and I can see the destruction in people's lives. That's all the further I want to go. But I thought as I was reading this article... If things go very well tomorrow in church, we'll have about 100 people. And they have 11,000. What is wrong with this picture? But then I'm reminded of the words of Jesus. That straight is the gate. And narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. I see those words echo down through the millennia. By the way, the world is only about six and a half thousand years old, somewhere between there and seven. It's not, we don't live in billions of years That's what the Bible says. But everywhere I can see in recordable history, I see the majority of people departing from the fellowship with the true God and embracing the fellowship with other men. If you want to understand false religion, that's it right there. We forsake the fellowship with God that we may have fellowship with other men. And by the way, uh, that little fellow who said that religion is the opiate of the masses wasn't really wrong when he's talking about false religion. What is the easiest way to control a society? Pretend you're God and get them convinced of it and you can control society. That's why when the Pope would issue uh, papal bulls in the middle, medieval age, said, I'm going to put this whole country under interdict. You're not going to go to heaven until I say so. Anybody that dies until I reverse my position will go to hell. And people believed him. And they would go to the king and said, you better listen to what the Pope just said. And the king said, I don't want to listen to the pope. And then the people said, well, you're not going to be king anymore because we're not going to go to hell for you. Religion controls people. It's a tool. And by the way, communism is not a political system. It's a religion. Nobody with a brain could believe the principles of communism You talk about blind faith. You need more of that to be a communist than you do a believer in God of heaven. And we're covering a lot of broad topics this morning, and I hope we're not offending you. But what I'm trying to illustrate and help you understand, get back to the point here, is simply this. The majority of people reject fellowship with God so that they may embrace fellowship with society, with their religion, with their family, with different groups of people, with their friends, with their peers. They're more interested in having fellowship with other individuals than they are in having fellowship with God. To have fellowship with the God of heaven is not something that happens by accident. To have fellowship with the God of heaven is not taking a multi-directional way and all of a sudden finding ourselves all together. That's what the world says, is it not? There are many ways to heaven. There are many ways to God. No, there are not. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And I want us to understand something. As John is writing these verses dealing with the forgiveness of sin, the whole purpose that we might find forgiveness of sin is so that we can have fellowship with God. And that is the key to having joy in your life. That is the key to understanding The goodness of God. How many of you have ever been forced to be around someone who did not like you and you did not like them? Uh, Most of us have been there. And sometimes it's called second grade, all three times, right? Uh, You say, I'm forced to be in this room. I can't have fellowship with this person because we don't agree on things. God says, listen, John is speaking for God here. He says, we are declaring the things we've seen and heard that you might have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with God the Father and with Jesus Christ. You say, well, how can we know which one of the many religions actually has fellowship with God when they're so uh, in disagreement with one another and even with themselves at times? Well, it's real simple. God gave us one book. It's called the Bible. Get into the Bible. And you will find something. Number one, you will find out that all these people that say the Bible says all these different things have never studied their Bible. The Bible only has one message if you will allow the words to speak for the words of the Bible. The message of the Bible and the fellowship of faith in Jesus Christ and God the Father is not a new thing. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden where the voice of God walked in the cool of the evening. Sin broke that fellowship. Cain brought a sacrifice. He said, God, I want fellowship with you. Here's the best that I have produced. God rejected Cain's offering. Abel brought the blood of an innocent lamb, and God said, I have respect unto Abel's offering. Let me ask you, who had fellowship with God, Cain or Abel? Well, Abel did, just not for a very long time, because Cain kind of, well, no, it doesn't work that way, does it? Uh, Read the book of Hebrews. He being dead yet speaketh, Abel still has fellowship with God. He never stopped having fellowship with God. Even though Cain put an early end to his physical life, he could not stop what God had started. You see, the, the call of our day is that we need to compromise. You see, their idea is that you have this idea, I have this idea, and we are completely, the the word is diametrically opposed. That means in every measurement, we're against each other. And so compromise is, we're going to meet in the middle and we're going to be best of friends. Uh, can I tell you There is no middle ground with the devil. And that there is no middle ground with God. You're either in agreement or you're not. And if you're going to be in agreement with God, you're going to agree with the words of this book called the Bible. And God is going to remove those things that hinder your fellowship with Him. And when He does that, guess what? You're going to learn to like other people who have the fellowship with God. That's called the church. Local, independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, Baptist church. I was asked to preach at a fellowship meeting, a group of preachers uh, a while back, and the preacher wanted me to preach on why we fellowship together as pastors and why we need one another as pastors. And and so I approached it a little different with much prayer and trepidation, but it was simply this. Listen, preacher, if you're serving God according to the Bible and I'm serving God according to the Bible, guess where we're going to find ourselves? Working together. Whether you like me or not. Amen? Amen. We will work together. How many of you enjoyed having Brother Sam here a couple weeks back? And he is the physical embodiment of one of the greatest illustrations of this, Heartland Baptist Bible College. We have nearly 500 churches all across the United States that support that college on a regular basis, whether it's once a year at the May offering or and then there are literally hundreds and hundreds of other churches. I think the entire mailing list is it's got to be over fifteen hundred, almost two thousand churches that want information about that Bible college in Oklahoma City. Now you guess you know what? Never once His brother Sam, the president of the college, called up and said, Now, Brother Pete, I'm just preaching a series through uh, the book of John, 1 John, and I want to send you my notes so that you can follow them. He would never do that. Because he gets his direction from the Lord, and he expects me, as a fellow pastor, to get my direction from the same place. And when we show up at the fellowship meetings, we're in agreement because we believe the same things already. We don't have to compromise what we believe because we already agree. Amen? The church, if you stop and look around, and every once in a while just stop and think about it and have a good laugh between me and the Lord. You talk about an eclectic group of people. Just look around. Amen? What in the world do we have in common outside being members in the same church? And yet, We enjoy being together. And I still don't understand why people come and listen to me preach every week, but I'm glad you do. And I do understand this. It's not because of me, it's because of the Word. This is what fellowship is. The reason I want you to be in church is not because I'm going to come over Monday morning and yell at you if you don't show up on Sunday. I want you to be here because you love the Word of God. And I want to be your preacher because I love the Word of God. And I want our fellowship to be based on obedience to the Word of God. And if you do not deal with the sin problem in your life, we cannot have fellowship in a local church. Amen? It's got to be dealt with. Dealing with sin in your life is not for your own good. It's not just to make you feel better about the bad things that you have done. It is to remove the hindrances so that you can have fellowship with other people who love God and His Word and you can have fellowship directly with the Creator God of this universe in service and obedience to His will. Could we have amen to that? How many of you would like to see that happen in your life? That's what we're here for. But if you don't stop at first John 8 through 10, and deal with sin, there's not going to be any fellowship. Nothing hinders fellowship between two human beings, like a little irritation. Hello. Aren't we there? And and I promise you, if you're here long enough, I'll irritate you in one way or another because I'm a human being. And you will irritate others because you're a human being. But if we get our focus on the God of heaven, guess what's going to happen? The Holy Spirit's going to be at work with that hammer and chisel, removing those irritations and making us fit together so that we can have fellowship one with another and truly with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? You better say amen now because we've got two more points to get through and we might be here a while. But let's look at verse 5. God wants us to have joy. That joy should be based upon our fellowship with other believers and with God Himself. That will only happen when we deal with the sin problem in our life. Verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Look at verse 4. These things write we unto you that your joy may be full. We want you to have fellowship with us and with the God of heaven because that's the only place you're going to find joy that's the only hope. You have a fullness of joy in your life. But we want you to understand the message here. This then is the message, verse 5, which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now we read that verse and we say, okay, yeah, God's light. In him is no darkness of all. How many of you acute? don't raise your hands. How many of you have accused God of doing something wrong? You've just blasphemed this verse and the God of this verse. It says here, if we... This then is the message that God is light... And in him is no darkness at all. It's interesting, our greatest scientist. We can split atoms. I am very happy with Mr. Edison and his invent- invention called the light bulb. But I'm certainly much happier with all the improvements that have been made since the first light bulb uh, was ever made. We have 128 of them, and as I look out on the chandeliers, I see two of them out. Uh, We'll have to fix that, but without those lights, you wouldn't be able to see very well in this auditorium, even with all the sun coming in. Scientists can't explain light. Light does some really strange things. Do you know that they can burn a hole through steel with light? It's called a laser beam. In fact, they've invented a new weapon now uh, that they talk about in the War on Terror that they can actually disable a boat at sea with a laser beam by burning a hole in the engine block of an outboard motor. It's pretty cool stuff. Now, I'm glad we don't have that kind of light in the auditorium. Isn't that good? But it's still light, isn't it? The thing that I love the most about light is you can't have light and dark in the same place. You turn on the light and the darkness leaves. Now, I know in the sci-fi movies the darkness puts out the light, but we're talking about truth. We're talking about reality. And by the way, darkness never puts out the lights. Darkness is the absence of light. God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. But what is the first expression when something bad happens? Oh my God! Please don't ever say that around me. The God of the Bible deserves a little more reverential treatment than that. Because it's not His fault, my friend. That's why I thank God I'm not a Calvinist. The Calvinist in his way of trying to put God within the grasp of human reason has developed a God that is responsible for sin. The God of this book called the Bible is not responsible for sin. He does not cause it. So, but he allows it. Okay. We're going to hold an election. We're going to give you a free choice. There's one candidate on the ballot and a set of goons out back with AK 47s for anybody who doesn't vote for the one man on the ballot. That is free elections, communist style. Right, Brother Zach? I mean, that's the way the elections were run under communism. You had the right to vote. It was a free election. Nobody made you pull the lever, but there was only one guy on the ballot. That's not the God of the Bible. He gives you a choice. If you are not allowed to choose wrong, then you don't have a choice now, do you? But you see, God made a way to get that fixed. It's called, If We Confess Our Sins, He is Faithful and Just to Forgive Us Our Sins and to Cleanse Us from All Unrighteousness. And I'll guarantee, if you're an adult in this room, if you've walked with God for any period of time, or even been religious at all, that you have blamed God for some bad things that have happened in your life. Let me explain something to you. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. He is not responsible for sin. Who suffers because of sin? It is usually an innocent bystander, is it not? It is usually other people when a person fills their body full of alcohol or drugs and decides they can drive home, normally they survive the accident, do they not? Most of us are familiar with the story of the little girl in a limousine heading home from a wedding. And a young man was so drunk he was on the wrong side of the highway driving nearly 100 miles an hour and hit that car so hard that that little girl's body was literally pulled into pieces by the impact. Happened on Long Island not that long ago. God responsible for that? Not the God of the Bible. But men make choices to reject the light that God has given them. By the way, you don't learn to get that drunk the first time you go out drinking you got to practice at it, my friend. It takes years to learn how to drink like that and still be able to get up out of your chair and do something. You see, sin always breeds more sin, does it not? How many of you remember when you were a little child? Maybe not so little child maybe an adult at work, and and you decided you were just going to cover up this one little mistake with a little white lie. Now, don't look at me like that. You've all tried it. It's part of human nature, is it not? And what happens is we get caught, and someone looks at us and says, I don't think you're telling the truth, and what do we do? We manufacture another lie. And then we sidestep this and blame it on somebody else. By the way, how many of you knew you could tell a lie without even opening your mouth? Do you know what so-and-so did? They better... And you're sitting there, wow. And you're the one that did that, not so-and-so. It happens... You know what? I never had to teach one of my children how to lie. There's no classes on being good liars. People get enough practice without having to go to school now, don't they? If you're professional, I guess you could become a politician. I don't know. Somebody said, what's the problem in Washington? Politicians. What's the solution? (laughs) There isn't one. It was Benjamin Franklin that said, it takes very little government to govern a virtuous people. That's the problem. You see, When we refuse to believe that God is light and in him is no darkness at all, we begin to seek to find our own ways, just like we did with fellowship. And when we turn from God's light, we will find ourselves in darkness. In fact, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, said, your eye, I'm just paraphrasing, is what lets in the light into your body. And if your eye is evil... The only light that you have is darkness. See, when we confess our sins, what are we doing? We're affirming God's holiness and our sinfulness. Uh, That's the message of the Bible, my friend. When we are capable of trusting God and letting Him tell us that we have done wrong and we need to confess that wrong is sin and seek His forgiveness, does that not help us understand that we can trust God before we commit the sin the next time? Are we still together? You see... Every time we confess our sins, we're affirming that God is right and we are wrong. And that is going to help us build a relationship with God based on what is called truth. Because God is truth. Amen? And when we transgress His truth, we sin. And when we... Refuse to admit that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. We move ourselves out of that light. We try to make our own way. And we end up what verse 10 says if we say we have, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, there are very few people who would call God a liar, especially in church on Sunday morning. But when we blame God and accuse Him of doing something dark, something that is not good, that's exactly what we have accomplished. Whether we'll admit it or not, that's what the Bible says we have done. If you want to understand God's holiness, allow Him to define sin in your life and then confess that sin and find His forgiveness. That's how you get saved. By the way, that's how we take the message of God's love to the world in which we live. Let's move on. Chapter 2 and verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous, and He is a propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. He that saith, I know Him, and keepeth not His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. Verse 5, but whoso keepeth His word in Him... Verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we, hereby know we, that we are in Him. If I were to ask the question, we've asked the question this morning. How many of you need more? Would could use more joy in your life? Every hand went up. How many of you would like to understand God's holiness better than you do today? Again, I believe every hand would go up. How many of you would like God's love perfected in your life? Again, I believe every hand would go up. I mean, that's something that we would want. But you see, God's love is not your love. You know what we do? We love that which is lovely, and we reject that which is ugly. Isn't that what we do? When is the last time you saw an ugly actor on the cover of one of those filthy magazines as you go through the checkout at the supermarket? Is there such thing as an ugly Hollywood actor or actress? I mean, if you look at their lives, it gets pretty bad, but I'm I'm just talking about their face. They say the number one thing that you need to be a star is you need to have a face that people can stare at. I have no worries of ever being one. Amen? Listen. It says here that we can have the love of God perfected in your life. Love is a wonderful thing. To have perfect love in your life certainly would be the greatest accomplishment that a human being could could ever attain to. Would you not agree with me on that? To have God's love perfected in your life. But let's look at God's love for a minute. If you know the verse, quote it with me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16, probably the most well-known verse of all the scriptures. Um, Can I ask you a question? Did Jesus die on the cross for lovely people? But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Aren't you glad that Jesus brought God's love to this earth and demonstrated it to us on an old rugged cross? And then the power of God's love at an empty tomb. And the strength and continuing endurance of God's love in a great commission to a small group of men that say, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to observe most of the things. Some of the things, no, all things, but only those things that I have commanded you. This is all things that I have commanded you. You see, God's love can't flow through a dirty pipe. That's why First John chapter one, verses eight through 10 are there. Because when we harbor sin and resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness and other things in our life, they may be sins that no one else sees or knows about. But sin always brings in more sin now, doesn't it? And we can't have fellowship with God. By the way, if you're not fellowshipping with God, you're not having good fellowship with other believers. Even if it looks like it is on the surface, it's not there because it is the Spirit of God that gives us that fellowship. Amen? It is that affirmation of God's holiness. It is understanding who God is and how that He cannot sin or do anything that wrong, wrong that in Him is no darkness at all. This understanding is what brings me to the end of myself in a full embracing of God and His love and as I live in the understanding of God's holiness and my sinfulness, no, I'm not put into a psychic depressive state, psychodepressive state that where I hate myself and want to kill myself. That's the sorrow of this world. I'm put in a state of love and adoration for the God that is so holy, yet he set his son to pay the price for my sin. And I cannot help but take that forgiveness that God has given me to the wicked world in which I live. How can you love in a wicked world? Uh, Jesus did. He said, I came to do the will of my Father. Does that sound like fellowship with the Father? Point one. Jesus never had to stop at verses 8 through 10 because Jesus never sinned. You say, how can you say there's no darkness in God when Jesus had to suffer all of those things on the cross? Oh, that one's very simple. You see, Jesus suffering on the cross allowed me to escape eternal damnation and hell. that's not dark, that's light, my friend. If I have that love in my life, it's got to reach out to the world in which I live. You see, I need to spend time examining my life and confessing my sins to God so that I can have fellowship with the Father. That will bring me into fellowship with other believers in Jesus Christ. I need to examine my life and confess my sin so that I can understand more about God's holiness and trust in Him and rely on Him instead of relying on me. Your mind is not the final arbiter of truth. This book called The Bible is. And if I want God's love perfected in my life it says let's go back to John chapter 2 just read pick up uh, verse 6 here He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. If you want the love of God in your life then you need to walk like Jesus walked. How did he do that? Well, Jesus loved the unlovely, did he not? Jesus loved you and I, though he could not see us with those physical eyes, he could with the eyes of faith and with the knowledge of God, he knew what would happen. That's why he died in our place. You see, we want to do everything backwards. We want to feel God's love without admitting our sinfulness. We want to have fellowship with God's people and never be irritated by anyone else being irritated by us. Didn't get very many smiles on that one. Let me, let me tell you something, the only way you're going to get there is spending some time in verses 8 through 10. And by the way, we call this our worship service. Worship is lifting up the holiness of God. How are you going to do that? Admit your sinfulness and praise His holiness. Amen? Amen. How are we going to have joy by taking that forgiveness to others and fellowshipping with God and automatically we'll be fellowshipping with other people who believe what the Bible teaches. Amen? Amen? If you want any opportunity, any hope, any chance of having God's love perfected in your life, You've got to confess your sins and admit your sinfulness so that you can have a clean life for God's love to flow through it. This is the message of the book of 1 John that we would love God and that that love would spill over into the lives of others. You can't love God and not love people. Amen. If you truly love God, you will be able to take that true love to the world in which you live. Remember, it's a straight gate, it's a narrow way, it's few people that find it, but the fellowship and the joy and the love that we have are real and will last for eternity. Not some hyped up thing that's only good on Sunday. It is God's work in our lives that we may give a testimony to His holiness. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to touch our hearts and lives. Lord, it's hard to believe in a group this size, that there wouldn't be at least one here today, more than likely many more than one, who does not truly understand what it means to be saved or born again the Bible way. Lord, we ask that today would be at least one step closer in the right direction, that there would be more of the Word of God planted and understood in that heart, Lord, our greatest desire is that today would be the day of salvation in any life that is here and does not have true Bible salvation. Yet, Lord, we know there are many people here who have given testimony of salvation, both in their words and in their baptism and in their life. And yet, we are overcome We do not have the joy and the fellowship that we ought to have. We are not rejoicing in the light that is there, and we are not experiencing the perfective love of God in our lives. Lord, we ask that you would give us grace to take some time this morning, and if this time of invitation is not sufficient, that we would go home and we would spend time on our knees and on our faces before a holy God, allowing ourselves to be convicted of our sin and admitting our guiltiness before a holy God that we may confess it and find that forgiveness and that restored fellowship and affirmation of your holiness and understanding of how good you are. And that your love would be perfected in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, we ask your work would be glorified in the hearts and lives of each one here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.